um, so how long does it take this process like the, the all the editing of a book yeah oh, about three months okay yeah so you're uh, almost done yes should be done by Tuesday what's the title the new teenage the new teenage and it's parenting what else did you write like before this I've written book on motherhood um, and five books on relationships okay so <laughs> you are specialized well, in that's my, yeah, relationships. That's, that's my passion. I have a question that I wanted to ask you, and I might go on a bit of a rant here, but um, interrupt me anytime. <laughs> so I guess my question is, uh, I was listening to a uh, speech given by Hélène de Botton mm-hmm. about uh, love in general, and at some point he was talking about polyamory, and his point was... I think his uh, whole speech was against the uh, concept of uh, romanticism, but at the same time, he was saying that polyamory feels like a way for people to escape reality and avoid commitment, and it feels like a fairy tale that we like to tell um, ourselves to find solutions, not to face real problems. And then he was like saying again, like, oh, it works for some people, but not for everybody. And then he says, like, oh, even like it, maybe it seems that it's working, but it's not. And uh, I have a whole different uh, perspective on relationships compared to most people. And the very basic question is, what do you think about polyamory? Oh, I agree with Alain. <laughs> in that it, it definitely I see I see a handful of couples at any one time who are who are poly okay um, and I find the same issues arise okay you know so so often what I see is you've got the core couple who come um, along for couple counseling and they just announce that they're poly so they they have different partners uh, as well and then they come back together and a lot of them think that the core relationship still needs to be very stable to to be able to support that poly lifestyle. Yes. So you can see then where it often, in my office, goes wrong in that the the um, you know jealousy still comes up and and um, issues, normal things that every couple face and every couple argue about are still coming up and poly isn't solving that. No, it's obvi- obviously it's not. Why do you think... Wh- what should polyamory fix in that sense? Like, what's the expectation? M- most... The, the, the poly couples who see me, they, they think that it will... Their view, and this is only... I'm only talking about a small sample in my office over 30 years, you know. <laughs> so okay. I can't speak for everyone, but... It's well, not that common anyway. No, but, but uh, still... You know, it's not the majority of couples I see. So, yeah. so what they say to me is, it they they believe it will help their commitment, because if they have to be monogamous, and then they want to explore other partners and sexually, then they feel trapped within that monogamous relationship. So that part of it, that being able, that part of commitment, which means just having you for the rest of my life, they don't want that. Well, it can sound scary but it could be a problem with commitment or it could be triggered by many other 
factors. I but think. Mo- can I just say most of the couples that I have seen, I'm trying to think of an exception to this. They have all been committed to their partner. Okay. So that they're, they're they're committed. So they're oh, that's good. Yeah. So they're not they're not. I don't see them as commitment phobic. Or, or not wanting the commitment, it, it's purely they also believe in, you know, that they, they want to explore other sexual partners. That's that's all. But but they don't fall in love or commit to any other partner. Okay, so they don't fall in love with other partners because I think a, a major issue with polyamory or with things in general in life that are non-standard is with labeling, like. Mm. Uh, I noticed that in uh, diets mm. as well. Like uh, I, I'm, uh, I don't know what I am. I just don't eat uh, meat. I don't eat fish, and I rarely eat uh, cheese. But anyway, people. Halloumi, you do eat halloumi. I've seen yes. you eat halloumi. Yes, <laughs> occasionally. <laughs> um, but I've been vegan for a while. But I did still eat honey. So I'm not like a pure mm. vegan. Like and anyway, people tell me like, oh, so you're vegan? And I go like, no, I eat eggs. And they go like, oh, okay, so you're vegetarian. No, you're a ovo vegetarian or whatever. Like there is mm. this need, people have this need to, to have a label to um, name every single, like all of different nuances. <laughs> and I think that there is a bit of a problem there because you cannot like just label everything mm. it, it's um diminishing so why way. do you think people do that why do you think people are often happy with labels because it makes things easier yeah but is it healthy no okay no i think i think i think <laughs> lab- yeah no i don't think it is i i think a lot of people like labels because i think a lot of us um often question our own decisions our own outlook on like and when someone has a different way of doing things we we compare ourselves and we start thinking oh does that that sounds quite good should i be doing that and so but if we can whack a label on them then we can say oh that's okay they're, yes. they're vegan so that of course that's that's how they do it so that's okay i'm, I'm okay so it, it's this constant I call it the um, Lindy Chamberlain effect. I don't know if you no, what's know that? Lindy, Cham- Lindy, Lindy Chamberlain. Lindy Chamberlain, dreadful case that happened in Australia, um, where um, a dingo um, took and killed a baby, Ouch. Azaria, un- under Uluru, Ayers okay. Rock. And um, the baby died. Yeah, yeah, they didn't find the baby, oh. and it was absolutely tragic because the mother was charged, and found guilty, and oh. sent to prison. Because she was not uh, being careful of, like... No, it wasn't. No, 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 no. She didn't do it. The the dingo did it. But she was falsely in prison. Oh. She was falsely in prison and she was released many years later after that. Okay. Um, so a, a very a, a tragic case in so many levels. But at the time, a lot of Australians believed she was guilty. Um, and that may... How did they prove that she was not if oh, the baby was, was never found. Oh, there was so so much evidence. It was all based on. I mean, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't really. But <laughs> no, yeah. the ins and outs. But but we've all we all followed it here. It was it was it was horrendous. But it was because there was there was blood found. They, they found a little matinee jacket, a little baby jacket, and that had blood on it. And there was some in the car. So it was all circumstantial. Evidence. Yeah, yeah. evidence that that was proved wrong. But she, it was anyway. But my my point is that. At the time, a lot of Australians believed she was guilty. 
sometimes people say because they didn't, um, they couldn't relate to the way she was in the witness box. She was very, didn't show much affect, much emotion. Okay. So people assume the guilt. But my view um, was that I think a lot of people would, so you thought you'd go on, on a rant, but here I am. No, no, please do. <laughs> a, a lot of people, um, it sounds strange, but are more comfortable with the idea that that mother killed that baby rather than some horrendous random act because if it was a, a, a random act like a dingo... It could happen to anyone. Could, that's right. That could happen to me. And so that's scarier. That's yeah. scarier. So the horrible thought... And so the horrible thought of a, of a mother killing a child in some people's mind was easier to cope with than a random act that could happen to me. Also, people have tendencies to like believe in conspiracies and all of that that, that they do but this this coming back to the labeling yes you know I, if somebody is diagnosed with lung cancer people you know that's that's terrible but people's first question did they smoke and if they didn't smoke what do you mean they didn't smoke <laughs> that then no longer that that's suddenly very serious now yes yeah it gets scary because it, ah, it could happen to me that's right yeah that's right. So again, getting back to the labels, that's why I think in some cases people are comfortable labelling because then everything has its place and then I know. It's a comfort zone. <laughs> yeah. So what do you think the label for... Because, okay, let's accept for a moment that labelling serves like a good purpose. Then the problem is that everyone has to agree on the label in order to be effective or useful in, in in the polyamory case i'm not sure that everyone has the same understanding of mm. what polyamory means uh and uh, my point is like i rather than saying i'm polyamorous i would say okay a relationship for me works this way and then i go on a rant but <laughs> most people would rather avoid that because the more you talk the more you might create problems so if they can go just like i'm polyamorous oh me too that's going to work. It, it's just safer and easier and faster. Um, but what's the um, accepted definition of polyamory, in, in your opinion? I think the general um, thought on it is, is people who do not believe in monogamy. Yes. And so they just believe in polygamy, which means just having... Multiple partners. Multiple partners. And, yeah. and there are so many variations within that. Yeah, because it's an open relationship is different than being polyamorous, yes, right? Yes, that's right. That's right. So um, that's why, yes, that's why I think that you're right in that the labels are often unhelpful because <laughs> there are so many people, in, in especially when it comes to diversity and sexuality. Uh, diversity, yeah, yeah, that's another example. Oh, yeah. it, it, it's, it's horrendous for people because the, the labels... And then, then there becomes, you know, arguments and, and exclusion based on, well, you're not properly that label because... Yeah, I think it creates so more damaging. problems yes. than anything. But yes. people really care about, like, I'm gay, I'm straight, I'm whatever, like, and they, they, they get attached to their label and they defend it like it was... But if things, like, if there were no labels and everyone was free to be whatever, whoever they are... It, it would just work better, like in a natural and spontaneous way. That it, it would. I think the exception to that, again, is if... You need to explain all Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. But also, if you want to be monogamous... Yes. 
then you you need to find someone else who also wants that or you need to accept they're not so then that's when you know there are certain cases or if you want to you know be vegan and you you know well and you want to have a you know some you want to be in a household or or in a relationship with a fellow vegan if that's what you want then (laughs) (laughs) i personally i don't care like i hang out with Uh, uh carnivores and whoever <laughs> but um what about when it comes to polygamy and polyamory compared to monogamy the origin of wasn't the origin of monogamy itself um didn't that tap like uh, um at, at ages ago the society was um matriarchal and then when it switched to patriarchal in order to control population and claim ownership over things and people because some people like were uh, assimilated to things at the time uh that's when the switch ha- happened to monogamy mm. is no, that I, is I that a thing <laughs> We'll have to look that up. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> can, can, can you look up o- origin of monogamy? Uh, because I think... I think a lot of it's church-based too. And yes. 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 And religious. Religious and it's... Uh, basically, it's uh, imposed by society in a way. Like, I don't think anyone would, um, at an early age, just think about polygamy because, like, society tells you that you need to be like that, that that's how things are and that's uh, how everything works so my question is if society w- what is more natural i guess for for like humans that are not biased by um culture is it more natural to be monogamous or is it more natural to be po- polygamous or polyamorous wow that's a big question <laughs> that's a big question ah oh, look i think i think we are wired we yes. are wired to have relationships we are Absolutely. wired to connect and and i think a very natural wiring is is to wire with another person okay and and the the strength of that connection and what happens with the mirror neurons and the neurochemicals like oxytocin all these yes. things you know fly between two people when there's a connection so i think if you just abandon the idea of of ever trying to find one person <laughs> with whom you have a really strong connection that that flows i i do wonder what what the result would be I, I wonder, um, because there there is there are links when people when people I'm treading carefully here, but when yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. when it's um, not an easy experiment to carry not, on anyway. It's not. It's not. But I, I think there's I think there's more to. I'm not. I'm just not talking about monogamy, even though I personally am a fan of monogamy. <laughs> so, um, but nothing wrong with that. Yeah. So it um, works for me. <laughs> so um I, I think if so for a lot of people it would and and yes is that just because society dictates that but I'm it, it takes all my energy to put into my relationship <laughs> um and the rewards out of that the connection I get to have this 
person, and I'm not, I'm not for one minute saying we've all got one soulmate. You just have to find them. I don't believe that at all. Okay, that's okay. the romanticism that exactly. we were just disregarding. I, exactly, before. totally disregard that. But I do find, I, do, I again find and have seen so many people find. If you do find someone with whom you have a, a strong connection and you work on that, and it does take lots of work, then I think there are great benefit, you know, great yeah, benefits for that. And I think if you if you abandon that thing, okay, good, that releases me from having to to um, put in as much work on that connection because then I could maybe I can find a connection over here and that's good that would that that will you know satisfy me in that way um yeah will will it will it be as deep will it be what what will happen I'd, I'd it'd be interesting experiment what would happen on a neurochemistry on a yes neurological level no, I, I believe that like when we say love love itself it's basically a chemical reaction that happens in our brain and compels us to i don't know breed or uh <laughs> <laughs> breed uh, or, or, or at least to <laughs> connect <laughs> to another person or mm. but my point is since it's a chemical reaction and everything happens within us that is not uh finite uh it's not a limited uh amount of love that we like for instance okay um you love your husband mm -hmm. you love your kids mm -hmm. you love your parents and my all of these dogs your dogs <laughs> <laughs> and all of those uh feelings they don't take anything away from from the other right mm. so why is not possible to love someone in a romantic way like more than someone in a romantic way, the same way I love my mom, my dad, my sister, my partner, mm. my other partner, and mm. my dog. I, I think it's definitely possible to love more than okay. one person at the same time. Okay? And, and definitely even uh, another partner. I, I definitely believe that's, that's true. But to me, the difference is, um, yes, my parents, my kids my partner but they're, they're the love as you say that there's love for all of them yes um but it's a different relationship with all of them oh, absolutely yes so yes, yes. so i having haven't having not experienced it wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't know how to i can do you know you know what i mean i can i can love my children the way i love my children because that's a mother to it yes children and daughter and sister and friend and I, I can yeah, do yeah. all that to mold. And if you have more children you don't love the one that you already no. have less or more. No. Yeah. No, 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 I don't. Um but yes, I, I I think I I think it can that's why I think as I said the poly couples that I see still have that core person, that core relationship, because it's that person that they will be first to to go to with good or bad news or a, or a dream or a fantasy or a, you know it's that person they go to and the others they're getting a different need met yes yes so that's what i'm trying to uh, that's what i can't understand how i juggle if i'm very upset about something or excited about it i, I want to tell my partner first so if you had multiple i just you know who's gonna get the news <laughs> <laughs> no that makes sense i agree a hundred percent um in, in my case the way i manage i carry on my relationships uh i think 
ideally, I believe in um, what we could call priority. I'm not sure if that's the right word. But the point is, um, having a partner who is my main partner is definitely important for my um, mental health. Mm. <laughs> and that doesn't take anything away from any other relationships. And I, I th also thi think com there is a line that people tend to cross. I don't know where do you stand on that, but sex and relationships and feelings are like three different things, if you ask me. So I don't think that if I have um, a sexual relationship with a person, that would mean that I would love less the person that I love. But since we are born in a society that tells us that if we do that, it means that we're like disrespecting or whatever that other person, it's not easy to cope with it and accept it even if you're a, if you're in a polyamorous relationship and that's where all the jealousy and all of mm. those problems arise and that's where uh, why um, Ellen de Botton was making the point mm. because yeah in theory it works but mm. then are you able to just ignore the fact that your partner chose to go with someone else on that night and you were just like okay I'm rolling my thumb <laughs> well again what I hear from people um, and this is the same whether someone poly or someone's busted their partner having an affair. Um, they're normally far more affected if it's the emotions that are involved. Yes. So it it than the sex. So if if sex is involved, they might think, "Oh my gosh, am I ugly, unattractive? You know, is that why?" And that's when again, in some um, couples where yeah, it is open or. or the poly couples, yeah, there can be jealousy because wow, that that person has a better body than mine, or you know, so that that's the same normal. Um, but when there's emotions involved, and oh, that's where the drama starts. Yeah. Yes, that's what really hurt because that's going back to the connection I'm talking about. Yeah, because you you want to be priority is a good word. You you want to be the go-to person. And this is where I think that commitment comes in play because if if I'm in a relationship with someone and I have emotion, like I have feelings for this person and we're on a journey, so-called, and we're building something together, maybe a family, maybe whatever. But at the same time, it's, I believe it's totally natural to, uh, the possibility to experience strong feelings for someone else. And again, I don't really believe that having those feelings would mean that I'm loving the first person less. But there are so many problems in there uh, that start with time managing <laughs> <laughs> and attention and respect and honesty and being transparent about things and disclosing informations. I'm not sure of how my point is that's a natural feeling and personally i believe that our body is the one who knows better uh, for us like if i'm hungry it means that i need food and if i'm in love it means that i will be uh, 
frustrated if I cannot pursue that feeling and if I if if I must block it because of someone else this would mean that I will have resentment toward that very fa- first person so in my case with my partners if I'm in love with someone and we have a relationship and we're building something together and we're in love and that person is experiencing feelings for a third party I would rather want her to explore what's happening in her brain and and just just do whatever rather than than like blocking it and then being grumpy at me that's a bit selfish <laughs> if i <laughs> oversimplified this this way but the point is just like i want that person to be happy and the thing that is preventing her to be happy in the sense of like uh following through on that on that feeling is me and i don't want to be the cause of that what do you think about this thing <laughs> i i I can definitely see that point. <laughs> I, I suppose uh, there are just so many, so many reasons why that might happen. Yes. You know, so you say you're hungry, so you, you need to eat something. But sometimes we may feel like we're hungry, but we're not. We're actually bored. Yes, that happens to me a lot. Or we're, <laughs> <laughs> or we're down. You know, or you know. Same. <laughs> so, is it hunger or is it seeking comfort? So, to me, you'd, you'd also want to be careful that if you just responded every time that oh, I have feelings for this person, I'm going to explore that. You got to make sure that 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 is you're not seeking comfort or escaping something or. Um, that has come from past hurts or I'm a psychologist remember so that yeah, yeah, we're, we're always assuming that there's you know might be something going on underneath behind. I'm not saying something wrong I'm not saying that's pathological in any way I'm just I'm I'm saying that yes if someone genuinely your partner genuinely had feelings strong feelings for someone else and that had built and and it looked like it was definitely something that they wanted to explore and you were happy with that then the two of you negotiate that and that's fine, but uh, but I think if you if it was just there's a niche there, just scratch it. You know. Yeah. We, we've got to think about potential reasons why there might be the itch. So, do you think it's healthier to have a relationship in which the partners fulfil every single need of each other, like? sexually uh, intimacy uh, emotions um, mental stimulation friendship and all of that I think that's totally unrealistic okay yeah so no I don't, I don't think that is and I think that puts too much pressure on the re- relationship but to people be go for that like people they, they're do. looking for well, that they are they are and it's an education problem yeah <laughs> and, and it is and and a lot of people come into my office and say well you know we're we're just not matched we you know he or she or they don't fulfill me in this certain way so must have to end it but that i always say that's not necessarily the case why, why is everything dependent on this one person to provide everything for you or exactly that's yeah. a dependency that's an yeah. entire new like <laughs> universe that we're yeah so no no i th- I, th- I think that is unhealthy um I th- and I think that's why we do have all these other relationships in our life. 
I, but I, we're not supposed to. No, but but it might not be a sexual relationship. Yeah, you yeah. Know, so it, it no, but even with friendship, like friendship generally implies honesty. And if I'm my wife's um, best friend, I would need to tell her if I'm attracted to another person. But if I'm in a monogamous relationship, I might want to uh, like hide that information. Like, yeah. So yeah, and the hiding does a lot of damage. I know. Mm. <laughs> so, so again, I mean, it, it is so difficult to navigate. But, but I, I, obviously, having done this for thirty years, have seen so, so many couple, countless couples, and 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 the vast majority work it out. They they. They move. Yeah, they do. They move past this. Um, yeah, the, the feelings for someone else or an affair or whatever you want to call it, they they do. But they do normally. I'm not saying because it's me, but if if two people are fronting up, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a good sign. <laughs> They're normally saying, right, we want to we want to solve this. Yeah, yes. we want to address this. So so. They're they're quite good odds, but and a lot of people, so many people would say if that. If they believe in monogamy, if their partner ever cheated, that's it, they'd be out. And then it happens and they're, and they they're not together. out. <laughs> they're not out. <laughs> they, because the love's still there, the, the, they, still, they still want it. And they just want to, often, they just want to fully understand it. They want to fully understand it and if, and depending on, on what's gone on. I think it might also have to do with addiction and with getting comfortable in a certain situation and being afraid of like moving on because there is this if you ask me misconception of the longer it lasts the better it is i don't buy the forever thing i believe that any everything in life not not just relationships but in general everything that happens to us is uh, an experience that we can um learn from and improve ourselves and grow so if i'm in a relationship and that relationship ends naturally or for whatever reason it doesn't mean that something it doesn't necessarily mean that something went wrong Mm. but it means that that was the relationship and it's not that it worth it's now worth less the relationship or that person because the relationship ended. It's just like that was the contribution that that person had to my life and now I can look forward to whatever's coming. So again, monogamy, I, I think, also includes this we need to be together forever mm. bit that doesn't really convince me. What am I missing here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, I don't know, You'd have so many people who who agree with you, and uh, and I and what you just said, I think. What are they? <laughs> <laughs> well, I I mean, I think that you're so true, and I'm I'm often saying the same thing to people when a relationship ends. Don't just assume it was a bad relationship, you know, because yes. they do. They just think, oh, so my whole life's been a lie. The last five, ten, forty years has been a lie. No, what? Why has it been a lie? You've no. you've had. You've been happy, and yeah. that was great. And yeah. you're not the same person yeah. of like twenty. You yes. were twenty years ago. Yes. And, and people do cope better when they. Th- when they begin to understand that and believe that they do cope better because okay. they think okay good that was that was for then and now 
what's what's the next stage? It takes a little while to get to that point for a lot of people. <laughs> they didn't want it to end because um, that's who I'm mainly talking to. Uh, do you think they don't want? They didn't want that to end because they got comfortable in whatever situation they were. Because I don't think this applies just to relationships, also to like jobs, oh, for yes. instance, and mm. anything. Oh yes, yeah, so there's this horrible mantra that so many people, which is the you know the devil I know, habits. Well, they're, they're just saying oh, I'm going to stay with the devil I know, which means you know, <laughs> yeah, 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 which, yeah, which is what a horrible way to live. <laughs> if it's the devil, that's the devil. <laughs> you need yeah. to get out of there. So don't stay with the devil you know, just in case the next devil's worse. That, that's, that's crazy. But a lot of people do that with jobs and, and relationships, sure. Because it's painful to get to know a new devil. Mm. And they well, it's a risk. That, that, they, especially, they, they, it's scary. It's scary. If, if, things, if they had, had the dream, they had the dream of forever, and then now it's not... But don't you think that all of that, like the forever and the, the one and all of that, are like an educational problem? Like if people... I'm not saying that those thing, things are wrong and I'm not saying that they're unachievable or that they shouldn't exist. They work for some people and th some people might be looking for something else and then they end up like in relationship that lasts forever. And it's just like... seems to me that... Um, from our education what we learn is that that's the only option and that's where i struggle like why don't we acknowledge that there are infinite possible possible outcomes on how a relationship might pan out and this way whatever happens in life we might be able to cope better and accept whatever's happening i think that i think that's a would be a very healthy addition <laughs> to the education <laughs> i'm not talking about australia italy is even worse than that oh really <laughs> yeah yeah no I, i mean in my experience i think i think there is a shift i think people are um generally speaking we people are uh, are exploring more options more versions they're creating their own way of living i think i think they are but um but again we come back to the label yeah. where we started where they might not be promoting it or sharing i hear a lot in my office but they, <laughs> they, they might not be promoting it because they fear getting judged yeah they, they fear but with a label it's even easier to get judged and yeah Uh, if you think about, was it in Greece, uh, like in old Greece, that there was no word for gay, but everyone was bi, basically. Like, and and there was like when when people were saying uh, my partner or uh, having sexual relationship, it could have meant like anyone, hmm. and there was no judging on yeah, that because it was much like part of the society. Yeah, isn't it? That's that would be much yeah. better. Why do we need this kind of labels that make us like? We don't. <laughs> we don't need them. <laughs> we don't need them. <laughs> we don't need them. And it's, and it's yeah, I, I, I think it is dangerous. Back to the label, which is not probably on the topic you want, but I, I think when labels do come in is when you are trying to, you know, if, if you've got a rash. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to have a label. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. On what that rash is. Yes. You know, if you've got know any sort of illness or mental illness sometimes yeah. it really helps to have 
not a label, it's more, more of a diagnosis. Well, ways to, to simplify and, and like communicate well, faster. Yeah, but, uh, but the, the main purpose is for the treatment. Yes. So, so labels to me are helpful when it's about for uh, treatment, say okay. for a rash or, or a mental illness or a physical illness. But, but when you're talking about sexuality, that, that, that's no, <laughs> there's no need for, for treatment or, or yeah. help. So labels are completely irrelevant. Exactly my point. What about kids? Have you ever... Um, done any research into the concept of like raising kids in communities rather than are you familiar with like communities that raise mm -hmm. kids together instead of like having like a father and mother figure w what do you think about that well i think what we are finding is that um <laughs> the more nuclear yes. family uh with parents and children and they uh, the harder it's become the worse it's become for the kids so how, how does that work because it's putting i know nothing about kids <laughs> yeah because it's putting again all it's like what you were saying before if you expect your partner to be everything then um they're gonna fail <laughs> they're gonna be able to do that <laughs> yeah eventually yeah they're, yeah we're all gonna fail because we can't provide that and it's the same with children we can't we can't be everything for our children. They, they need so many influences on their life. They, they, they need so many people in their life. They need, they need extended family and they need communities. They need other adults. They often, often need other adults who are not parents. Yes. They're often fabulous influence on children, not just having another parent in their, yeah. their view. So I, I think, it, I think it, it's, it's made it harder for children. I think it's definitely made it harder for parents when they've tried when it's, it's become more and more on your own. Yeah, and then there is the case of like, don't you tell me how to raise my kids, so. Like, uh, well, that, that's what's happened as a result. Yes. Th I think that used to happen. It used to happen that, you know, people were saying in Australia, people were over their back fences <laughs> discussing, what do you think I should do about Johnny? <laughs> he needs a, <laughs> um, yeah, now they're not even talking over the back fence, so. Yeah, it, it's much harder. Do you want to tell me more about, like, can we talk about the book that you just finished? Like, they're still editing? Like, can, mm -hmm. can we talk about that? Or of since course. it's not out already? We no, can no, of course. Yes. Uh. yes. Okay. So. Yes. It's um, called The New Teenage. Okay. It's written with Ginny Mansberg, who's a GP. Okay. Um, so she's doing all the medical stuff for um, teens today. So everything from, you know, sex and acne and, you know, all yeah. health matters and then I'm doing the psychological stuff so all the mental health issues school stuff bullying internet stuff screen time all that what about stuff. bullying yeah huge in, in Australia or yeah, yeah I think yeah. everywhere yeah. more or less yeah what's and the last is such just such horrific damage done by bullying how does that work I'm curious how does it work as in why it does what what how I mean I can understand why bullying someone is bad, but what are the effects on the psyche of a kid that has been bullied? They're those s important years where they're building their self-worth, their self-image, you know, uh, who they are, is, is completely interrupted. They're, they're given other messages. They're given messages that they are less than, 
that they are not worth much. So there is a pattern of lack of self-confidence in kids yeah. that have been bullied. Oh yes, the 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 yeah rates of depression, anxiety. Interesting. Very high, very high because again at that that those years pre-adolescence and into adolescence they're, they're just so important. Yeah, they're formative years. Yeah, formative and as I said, they're interrupted, they're interrupted in there. So what's the advice for the parents who are aware that? their kids are being bullied the the main there's there's so many layers to it but but everything in what what Ginny and I talk about in our book is is it is all about the connection you have with your children okay because if you have a strong connection with them then you can hopefully talk about anything and so because that's that's the one thing uh, the reporting of bullying is still quite low they don't tell their parents because they're worried their parents are going to make it worse yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because parents, out of love and anger and fear, can go marching off to <laughs> their parents or the teachers exactly, or, and yeah. and make the bullying worse. So Absolutely. children are very aware of that and don't want that to happen. Yeah. So um, the the main thing that parents can do is if they because of the social pressure, I guess also. Oh like yes. the, 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 yeah. and it's so much harder these days because of all the cyber bullying. You know that they're not just being you know harassed in the in the yeah. playground they're being harassed in their bedrooms on their own yeah, they're not yeah. telling they're not 70% don't tell their parents huge Makes but sense. but if they're going to tell someone they're more likely to tell parents in school than their teacher or so parents are still the first person oh, okay. they will go that's to that's interesting yeah. how's that well yeah. why is that oh because uh, and parents need to remember that because they often think oh well I'll be the last to know they only care about their friends or the teachers but then they still very much especially up to about 15 they definitely Go to their maybe first. maybe because that's still the strongest relationship yeah. that they have in their lives. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, and even though friends yeah. are becoming, you know, the priority for sure, and so it should be. <laughs> um, so they should be. So what what can parents do? Firstly, thank them for telling you. Yeah. You know, try try to keep your reaction should not be worse than your child. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very good advice. Like advice. someone we know now. <laughs> um, so your reaction yes. has to be. Um, as calm as you can, even though inside you are. Yeah, yeah. So you say, okay, thank you for telling me. Okay, let, let's, what's been going on? Tell me and then let's, let's talk about why do you think this is happening? Explore some reasons. You know, is there something that you might think is going on for the bully themselves, even though there's another label? So Yeah, yeah. yeah. Are there any general causes? Like why are kids being bullied? Like is there a specific type of kid that gets bullied? They're targeted. Or? Yeah. Look, there's still all the same stereotypes that <laughs> that get bullied, like but nerdy. yeah, nerdy. But but then now they can be bullied because they're the opposite. They they might be the most attractive one, or that you know, so they might yeah. be a uh, jealous because there's. I guess cyberbullying is playing yeah, a role in like exa- flipping. flipping. The exactly, exactly. But but mostly, the more that's the thing, and that's again what parents can do is. The more you react to a bully, I'm not talking about threatening bullying. I'm not talking about <laughs> you know you've got to do something about that. Some right? parents might want to do that. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> but I'm just saying if your child is being threatened, yeah. physically, mm-hmm. you know, sexually, you know, that yeah. that action that's a that's a crime. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and same with cyberbullying. You know, so I'm not not talking about uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but but generally speaking, you you want to teach your child to pretend that it's not affecting you. So, mm, wh- how how does that work? 
Well, if you, if if the attitude is, and as I said, please, no, I'm not talking about serious threatening. Yeah, of course. Um, just minor bullying. Yeah, we're, yeah. Just like pushing. Which does still do a lot. No, but more personal attacks and. Okay. Okay, so uh, it still does a lot of damage. Okay. Okay, so so I'm not not trying to dismiss it, but I also don't want to say that you just, you know, turn your back on someone who's who's threatening. Yeah. Something horrendous, but but say somebody um, comments, oh, look at you know you're a loser or you look like this. You, you know you want to teach your child to say, seriously, is that all you got? Is that all you got? Okay. Yeah, that. Ah, teaching them how to be like self-confident, basically. Well, like self-confident, just to not, because a bully relies on you being upset, on you being yeah. scared, on you being affected by it. Yes. Yeah. So if you're if you're super insecure then there is ground for them to like keep yeah. attacking you yeah whereas if where so again for the minor bullying you can and that's why it's really good it sounds so daggy but you know role playing at home okay well why don't you say <laughs> yeah that might not work sometimes because yeah. of many reasons yeah starting yeah. from the like uh lingo like the <laughs> language yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the other the other Science thing it's really it's really important to to help a child is to understand that there's a reason why the bullies go- bullying is going on for that person there's something going on they're either being bullied themselves or they don't feel great about themselves or they're they're being encouraged or they're, they're getting some benefit from it so again teaching them to have empathy yes. to try and understand what's going on for the bully actually creates a buffer between your feelings and what's happening yes and how does screen time affect all of this because people like young generations but everyone is spending way more time in a digital world now rather than having real life relationships mm. of all sorts like uh, classmates and mm-hmm. all that um how does that affect relationships between, like friendships, for instance, in in school or in like mm. during like teenagers and? And they just changed. I think I think there's a there's a bit too much fear about screen time. It is the way it is now, yes. <laughs> you know. So we're not going backwards. So it's we still want to encourage face to face and you know being with people but they they are connecting with their friends online that that they are through those messages and texts and sending things to each other they're feeling as connected as we ever did as children with our friends i I think if they if they never if they only talk to strangers online there are some kids who will you know play online Games. games and they're just talking to people they don't know they've got their online friends i think they they still feel connected to them, but they uh, most of the time they are they are talking to their actual friends, and they they're laughing with each other. They're connecting and they're organising to meet up. Um, so I think there's there's and, and when they meet up, they're still on their phones yes. talking to other friends. <laughs> exactly, but they're still connecting. Yes, they're, they're still friends. There. I think I think again, the, the tech itself is not the problem. Yeah. It, I you know, and, and it's like when when people with you know online gaming, it's it's a huge problem. But it's the gaming that's problem, whether it's done online or <laughs> that that's that's the problem. I guess the accessibility 
to that is the like online yep, so game is yep. much more accessible. Yeah, so that yeah, so that does make it work. But it's still, um, I think a, a lot of people and a lot of parents and um, older generations will. If you just got off the screens, everything would be okay. But if if you if you've got a child in the back of your car, um, and they're you know chatting to a friend, and you say, put that phone down, stop. You know that that would be seriously like taking a little friend of theirs along on on the car trip and then saying, "Can you just get out of the car now?" <laughs> you know, you, you're just telling <laughs> to, get, to cut. Like yeah, uh, just cut. Stop talking to your friend. Stop stop connecting and just stay here. Uh, that, that's just so foreign to them. That that's yeah. I mean, it's also rude. Like, I'm talking <laughs> to this guy. <laughs> it's also rude. It's also rude. But then, of course, you know, we we do want them to. We want all of us to be off our phones sometimes and just. Yeah, connecting women. We want them to be outside, and we want them to do. But I think, I think too many people are just going right. What's the limit? Okay, two hours screen time a day. We'll just keep it to that, and then that's that will make everything okay. But that, that's not the answer. Yeah, I, I don't believe screen time is the main issue. I mean, it's what you do with that. I mean, if you're mm. playing Candy Crush for twelve hours a day, yeah, then not so good. Maybe not so good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but if you're actually, con- I, I, I mean, uh, my main. Um, skill is networking mm. and it, it it is super uh it's much much easier now that mm. compared to like 15 years ago so i totally understand that mm. like using my phone all the time is what in a way makes me who i am yeah. in my relationships yeah and it hasn't stopped you being able to have no i still face go to out face I, still, <laughs> exactly. I still get vitamin d from yes, the sun good, 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 good. <laughs> what else what else do you cover in the book oh Gosh, what you know? Yes, I think there's a lot of pressure on kids these days. To so much pressure, they're really feeling it. To do what well, they're, they're 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 feeling a lot of pressure to do academically really well, to get a good job, to be able to you know follow that cliche and you know get a house and have a family, and <laughs> they're they're feeling a pressure at a very young age. And this is all across the spectrum, regardless the socio-economic. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of kids are feeling it. There's, yeah, and, and it's a it, it's a problem because it's stopping a lot of kids just work out what they like. Yes. What they what their strengths are, what they enjoy. My my I've got two kids. One went to university, one didn't, but my daughter <laughs> hasn't been to university. I can't tell you the the grief she gets over it. And the grief we get over it. What do you mean you didn't go to university? I mean, gosh, in our day, such a small proportion of people went to university to only get the qualifications to do the thing they're interested in doing. Now yes. they just assume, well, you just go to university, just do something. <laughs> How crazy is this? I'm it not sure. I, I don't think... I think there is value in university, but the value is not the piece of paper. Again, it's the network of people that you connect with if you want to enter a certain industry. If, if you need that for certain, but it's an expensive way yeah, to I mean, network. if you want to be a doctor, you yeah. kind of need to go to university. Yeah, of course, that's what I mean. <laughs> and that's why how it used to be. Just, you want to be a doctor, you go to university. But now... But even t- if you want to work in, um, I don't know, uh, finance on a certain level or in uh, films, I think university might be the better the best starting point not because of what you're going to learn because if you're smart enough you can you can actually learn even more without going i i, I believe mm. but you won't have access to a certain industry and a certain circle of people that might facilitate your 
career. Hmm. And there are plenty, plenty of examples of that. But, but if the young people are just thinking, all I have to do is get into university. Yes. And they're not thinking about what do I enjoy. Oh, that consumes you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, then, and plus they're feeling the pressure, plus they're feeling like they have to compete <laughs> with their peers because it feels like, okay, there's only certain spots. So that, that, that can't, that's yeah. not good for them. They're, Are they're there really any universities that, has, uh, that have a limited number of uh, people that can access a specific like, course or class? Yeah, or? there's always, there's okay. limits. There's limits, okay. So yeah. the competition starts even before you actually yeah. enter university. Yes. That's not good. <laughs> it's not good. And then add to that, again, here, you know, there's, there's league tables now for the schools. and I mean, there's, there's just more and more pressure on success achievement instead of um, purpose and what's the healthier approach then like on, on the parent side how should they uh, what should they teach their kids in order to avoid all of those um, complications uh, do, do we have any questions um, not yet that's good <laughs> that's good <laughs> that it's always yes <laughs> um I think it's a combination. I think I think it's good to teach children the value of effort. Okay. So yeah, if you if you put effort into something and that pays off and and you complete something or enjoy doing it and and get reward out of that effort, I think I think that's a really good life lesson. I think it's really good to help them have a wide range of experiences so then they can work out what they do love what and we tend to love what we're good at <laughs> um so you know steering steering them down that path the combination of learning about the value of effort and learning what their passions are and what what their strengths are if you're only going to say look just do your best just just do as well as you can in everything you try you can achieve whatever you put yes, in your you mind. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> All you're doing, and especially do your best, it's a very common, because that's it, often coming from really well-meaning parents, just all I care about is you do your best. And again, they often, they are just talking about the effort. We just want you to put effort into it. But that's often not what the kid's hearing. They're hearing yeah. I've got to be the best. I've got to be the top. I've got to get 100%. They're hearing that, so then they're hearing pressure. Okay. And pressure is bad because how, how does that affect growth? Well, pressure, what, what happens then is then life, life becomes about achieving achievement. goals. Okay. And, and if you achieve a goal and if that's been your, and, and the goal is just as high as possible, yeah. then there's no end to that. That they they just keep reaching and reaching and reaching, um, so they end up never being satisfied. Yeah, yeah, and always feeling f they're failing, they're falling short of of that achievement. Whereas if you, to me, goal setting is still really important. Yes, but it's 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 a very you, you've got different goals for different things. It's not just do your best in everything and be good at everything and just keep trying. It's I'm not going to put much effort into that. <laughs> I don't really enjoy that and I'm not good at it. And so I'll put the minimum amount will get me through that. I'll do that. But this one, 
is really important to me and this one I love. So I'm really going to pour more effort into that one. And this one I'm going to aim to achieve at this level. But this one I'm going to aim to this level and this one I'm not going to worry about. That to me is a... Uh, it sounds much healthier or yeah. a, a, a list less stressful. Is it possible that pressure plays a positive role under certain circumstances? We need a certain amount of pressure. Okay. There's the Yerkes Dobbs. Uh, it's like stress. Yeah, exactly. So y- you do need, to, there's this big, like everything, a nice bell curve, and right in the middle of that curve, we do perform at our peak. Um, with no pressure. You're not going to achieve anything. <laughs> no stress, you won't, and too much, you won't. Uh, what's the amount of stress that you need when you're writing your books, like to, to focus on your, on your work? I just, yeah. I Do you work better under pressure? No. Or oh. To be relaxed? I just don't, yeah, I don't find that. Hard. Because I'm writing, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I think if a deadline's approaching or... Or if someone, I do find it sometimes difficult when the editing process, when someone comes in and says, oh, look, no, that's, that's not good or you need to change that. I do find that stressful because okay. I'm thinking, hmm, I like my words. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do. Yeah, I know something about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, that, that could, but it's not stressful. It, it just... Yeah, so no, I don't find writing stressful. How long have you been writing for? Uh, when did you publish your first book? Um, 1989. No, 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 that's not true. N- 1990. Okay. Yeah. Okay, that's a yeah. long career in writing. How did you get into No, writing? that's not true. <laughs> Stop lying to me. I'm <laughs> sorry. I'm just I'm hopeless. Kidding. I'm too old. No, it must have been... Yeah, 2000. 2000, first book. Yeah, 1999, 2000. I can't remember which year it came out, first book, around there. Okay. That's it. Okay, final answer. Final answer. And how did you, how, how what were you doing before? Oh, I'm just working in my psychology practice. Um, a friend and I, colleague, another psychologist, we ran a group for new mums because we had just had our second ch- children. We were juggling work and... So we were running this group. The newspaper came, somehow found out about it, did an article on it. The publisher contacted us and said, will you write a book on it? Oh, that's cool. So you got approached by a publisher. Yeah. Oh, that's cool, that's cool. Yeah. And so very lucky, very lucky. Article must have been very good. Yeah. (laughs) And then that publisher then published four more, or three more, three more there. I keep lying to you. Um, (laughs) So long ago. And then, yes, and then that led to... Um, a publicity tour and then doing more on television and radio and that's cool. so what the first book was about did they ask you to write on a specific topic or were you free to oh, we were running a motherhood group okay it was, it was mothers helping mums stopping trying to be perfect that's so cool. it, taking pressure off mums just do it your way stop following <laughs> some prescription of how you should do it um and so yeah the publisher liked that idea of of mums doing it their way. What would be your advice to someone who wants to get into writing? Hmm. <laughs> Non-fiction, obviously. Non-fiction? Yeah. Oh, just keep... Well, read a lot. That, I think that's, that's the main thing. I think it's really important that you... If you're writing, that you're reading a lot. Um, so if you read a lot and then keep, keep writing and... 
don't forget that you might just be writing a small thing and making notes over here and then notes on that and somehow you're it's all in here it's all in your mind and it, it, it you know little links start to form little ideas chains whereas a lot of people just think okay now I can't do that because I can't dedicate all this time to writing so I'll just wait until I can and mm. then sit down right <laughs> page one interesting I think I don't know I, I wrote a book ages ago and it took me six years because I was doing exactly that I mm. was just writing like a few words and then mm. like save file forget for like a month then write something completely unrelated and then at some point I just decided to put everything together and it sort of did uh, shape up in a mm. semi-decent way but I think at that stage I think if you're just starting off you do all the nodes and but then when you when you're trying to get if you want to then write I'm serious now I'm going to write this then my advice would change in that I find it's good if you dedicate a certain block of time per day or per week or whatever it is commitment and that is your writing time and then you just then you get all those notes and you start making it but you can't just start without having all those thoughts written down and connecting and that might take a while and getting in the zone to write like you need to be I mean I mean I need to be in a specific mood and state of mind which is not that common how, how do you focus is there a process for you to reach that um i think again everyone's so different people their level of focus their level of attention again there's a, a lot that's yeah, going some people on meditate yeah and different people's brains some people brains are very very noisy <laughs> the noisier your brain is the harder it is to focus so there are yes so so meditation mindfulness exercise th these things really do help focus hip hypnosis self-hypnosis hypnosis. yeah self-hypnosis is very good hypnosis. i know nothing about hypnosis well, i know hip very little about hypnosis hypnosis just means a, a really relaxed focused state okay so if, if you think of uh, i always think that the best way to, if you if you're watching a movie yes in a cinema and you're really into the movie you're you're loving it you don't even notice the how comfortable the surroundings yeah, yeah. how comfortable the seat is if someone's making a noise you are so focused immersed yes yeah but you're not you're not in this altered state that if the fire alarm went off you wouldn't hear it you'd be able to jump straight away or someone said your you're name. not in trance you know, yeah but you're, you're so in a in a relaxed focused state so when there's emotion you feel it you, you, you know you react whereas if you're not into the movie and it's terrible you think oh these seats are terrible yeah that guy's <laughs> coughing that guy's coughing but you hurry up and finish your chips this is terrible um you're not focused so if you can think about that that's what hypnosis is hypnosis okay. is getting into and you're taken down a process of just becoming more and more focused just right to whatever um you're hearing or whatever in the zone in the zone and the messages then because you are focused your mind is quiet it is not hyper vigilant to everything else that's going on the messages are then easier to receive and penetrate you're further. more receptive yeah interesting yeah and you can definitely do it if um, self-hypnosis is a very powerful tool I'll, I'll do that if I'm getting how does that work or some sort of you know needle or <laughs> some medical procedure that I don't want I say don't talk to me because I'm just going to be doing self-help 
hypnosis. So I'll, I'll choose a spot on the ceiling normally and I'll just pour all my focus into that and I will just zone into that one spot okay. and zone out everything else that's going on around me. So it's very similar to meditation in a way. It, it, like do it, you focus on breathing or breathing or...? Um, in, in, if you're getting into a hypnotic state, often, yes, it, it can be that you can... Yeah, feeling... Always focusing on the breathing is the easiest way to begin a focusing exercise. What comes next? Like, okay, you're focusing on that spot, like on the stain on the ceiling, and then...? Well, then at what I'm doing is I'm normally, which is quite annoying to the person trying to <laughs> take my blood or do anything, I'm normally humming. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I will hum and <laughs> not a tuneful hum, just a <laughs> I will just be making <laughs> weird noise. noises. <laughs> but the, the combination of that spot and the sound is filling my whole attention. Keeps reminding me of yoga and meditation, like with the mantras and yeah, like it's all that's, that's that's what very similar. Yeah, there's similar versions, but they're all meaning focus. And so again, if you're getting back to writing or or anything that you need focus, it's really good to do some sort of exercise like that first. Beautiful. Because you're quieting your mind, you're focusing, and then okay, now write. I'll try that next time <laughs> I write. Next time I. Make weird noises and stare at a dot. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'll probably try the first time at home or in the <laughs> office. <laughs> because I used to go to uh, crowded places like cafes and right from there. Mm. But sometimes it works. I need to isolate myself with um, sound cancelling headphones. Yeah. And then I can sort of focus. But yeah, w- once I get in that state, then I'm fine. But getting there when a lot is happening around mm. me, then it, mu- it might be a bit trickier. Well, it is because you're, you're yeah, all because your senses, yeah, they're all stimulated. They're all just remember when that's happening, the connections going on in your brain, they're buzzing everywhere. They're, they're watching out for danger or interest or potential the one of many partners. <laughs> Nah, <laughs> that's that's not happening. <laughs> I, I think I yeah. Um, I mean, the, the the main thing that I had planned to ask you was about relationship, obviously, because that's your uh, main specialization. Is there anything that we didn't cover on that front? Like something you would like to add? No, oh, always. I guess my question is like. Any advice, general advice for whoever's listening (laughs) on how to carry unhealthy relationship, something that is not obvious or is not like just, yeah, common knowledge? Look, it's it's probably going to go against everything you've just said. Please (laughs) do. But I just think if you have a... But I think this is in life in general. But if you have a philosophy of thinking, um, how how can this how can I help how can I bring out the best in this person, and how can they bring out the best in me? Um, how can I how can I think of not not treading on eggshells, but think of my, what what I say, think of what I do, and how that's going to affect another person. I'm not talking about fear of negative evaluation, which is a 
you know, when you're really worried about what everyone thinks. I'm talking about somebody that you really care about, someone you love. Yeah, to just have a think about the impact of your behaviour on them. And if that's your guiding principle, then that's that's going to make you let, oh, let's just let that go. Don't, don't. How that impacts or affects the other person? I'm a believer in, I think... If I want to be in a healthy relationship, I need to be happy on my own first mm -hmm. and at peace. Mm -hmm. And once I uh, put myself in the context of like together with other people, uh, if I'm the best version of myself, cliche uh, mm -hmm. sentence here, um, then the way I'm perce perceived by the others is going to be the is going to generate the best outcome in that relationship that mm -hmm. could happen. But am I responsible for how my actions make them feel as long as I don't try to hurt them uh, willingly? Y you're not you're not responsible for someone else's feelings but I, I think that's part of a healthy relationship as I said whether it's a friendship or you yeah. know a working relationship or you know an intimate relationship if if you if you have empathy for them if you know them if you if you want the best for them and your relationship and yourself <laughs> all of that then that that becomes your guiding principle so yeah but maybe what is best for myself is not best for that person and or those people mm. so how to prioritize well what? that's what i was saying if 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 the combination and that's what I, you know people go on about you know compatibility or you know how do you know whether this is a good relationship or a strong relationship whether i should stay whether i should go and my answer is always the same are you bringing out the best in each other so by being together so it's not i like that answer yeah because you're not you're not saying i'm putting you before me you're just saying does the combination of us am i better the i don't need you i can i'm perfectly a whole person, <laughs> right? Yeah. We're not two halves or one whole. We're two, two whole people. Yes. But together, for it to be for it to be uh, working, two. to be strong, you got to be. It's got to be mutually <laughs> beneficial. You got you've yeah. got to be the best best version of yourself. Absolutely. And if you find that in that relationship, you are resentful, or you're jealous, or you're always angry, or you're <laughs> then you're not the best. Version you're not of the yourself. best version of yourself. Yeah. And I'm not saying you blame your partner, but that that dynamic, y you're not bringing out the best in each other. That's that's. In, in a way, and uh, and I, I I know how controversial I am saying that. I think that selfishness might be in a way a healthier uh, approach because if I focus on merely on myself and on improving who I am, like and trying to be better. Um, it means that all of my focus I is on myself, so I'm being selfish in a way. But that means that I'm what I'm giving to everyone else who is around me is the best version of myself. So I'm actually helping them because they will have to deal with someone that is at his best. So is 
being selfish in that sense acceptable and how does that work when you're just trying to focus on being a better person and ignoring other people's needs well should if if everyone was doing just this if everyone was being selfish in this way on their own then everyone would be fine i guess (laughs) (laughs) well yeah our connections might not be that (laughs) strong um Yeah, there's lack of empathy in all of that. Yeah, exactly. A little bit missing. Um, Well, that's where, I mean, I know it's a label and just my, or definition, let's say definition. To me, to be selfish, you're not selfish if you're considering yourself and being the best version of yourself. That is not selfish. To be selfish, it has to be putting yourself first to the detriment of someone else. So somebody has to suffer (laughs) in order for you to get what you want in order to be selfish. And sometimes we have to do that. Sorry, sometimes we, we have to. Yeah, yeah. So sorry, I I, I need to do this and I know you're going to suffer, um, but I, that, that, that's what I need right now. Selfless, to be selfless, means you're putting everybody else first that's, to your detriment. That's very unhealthy. That's very unhealthy. Yeah, so we don't I know be people like that. Yeah, so we don't want to be either end. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a big, there's a lot of room in the middle where okay. all you're saying is I matter too. I matter too, you matter, and it it's it doesn't have to be this um, you know right in the middle compromise. That's unrealistic. Yeah. <laughs> um, but over the course of our time together, you want it to be. Sometimes it's a little more my way, sometimes yours, but it it evens out, and we're not. It's not always to the detriment of one, and often we can both win. Because it's not always easy to understand what... I mean, that's empathy uh, in the end. But understanding what other people need is also... It's a skill. And maybe... The the ability to uh, read people, it comes down to labeling again. Like, oh, I know that the person is selfish or I know that the person is like only cares about money or whatever. So we're basically labeling people again in a way to help our ability to empathize with them. And that's, I think, one of the first things that people tend to ask when they meet new people is like, oh, what do you do? Mm. And that's a, a right away a way to just like put them in, yep. a, in a cage. In a box. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? Well, I just want to argue with your definition of empathy before. <laughs> <laughs> it might be wrong. Yeah, because I don't, th- I don't, I don't think, um, I think, y- yes, people, people label or generalize when they're trying to make sense of another person and, and cope with them. But, but, True empathy means entering into the spirit of the other person. It means let me try and understand what's going on for you given your personality and the situation you're in that I might not be able to relate to at all. (laughs) Um, So let me just try and relate to what... So, And if you don't can't understand that, you can't have empathy, then you need more information. Tell me what's going on for you that I can see you're really upset, but uh, I'm, I'm just not sure why, and I'm not gonna just label you as being 
sensitive or <laughs> um, insecure or whatever. I'm actually going, please, to, please tell me what's going on in my attempt to have empathy for you, you know. So it, it's, not, it's not in a dangerous search, let me quickly hurry up and find a box to put you in or a, a label to give you. But uh, normally I, can, I know what would upset you, this person I know well, I know what would upset you because I know, I know you and I know why this situation has triggered that in you, that you can easily give empathy to that. But if you're struggling to understand why somebody is reacting the way they are, oh yeah, of course. then it's hard to have empathy. So that's when you go in search of... T tell me more what what's going on what's triggered whereas a but lot in of in order to to dig into that you still need to understand that you're not perceiving so, like that you're missing something yeah because that, that's a wonderful gift to say yeah, I, no, I, i'm mi i'm missing it but help me i, I want to understand. I understand whereas the big mistake that so many people make is well, I, I, I can't understand that or I would never do that or I would have done this or you should do this or, yeah. you, you know. <laughs> um, so they try and problem solve or they try and relate it back to themselves in a similar situation and none of that's empathy. Yeah, and then if the person is not even able to understand that um, their partner or uh, the person they're talking to is experiencing some sort of discomfort or whatever then i guess we get into like uh into pathology i think <laughs> like <laughs> i mean uh, isn't it like how sociopaths and psychopaths like how their brain works like they they, they basically lack empathy mm. so they cannot yeah. the, the reason why they do harm to other people is because they don't perceive perceive that as like harmful yeah well they <laughs> they they Perceive, it depends. <laughs> there are certain personality disorders that, yes, um, empathy is lacking or missing. Um, but there are some that realise they'll be suffering, but I don't worry about that because this is what I want. So I'm still, so it's sort of pathological selfishness. <laughs> pathological selfishness, interesting <laughs> label. Yes. Um, whereas, yes, sometimes it's it's... Yeah, often lacking in empathy. Fantastic. This is very educational. I'm well, we've talked about a lot. A lot. <laughs> Thank you very much. I really enjoyed this um, conversation. I guess if there is no questions, as I suspect, we can no, call it a night. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. Maybe let's wait four more hours <laughs> no, or <laughs> let's just... <laughs> okay, thank you very much. Uh, it was me. lovely to talk to you and um, I hope we can do this again at some point in the sure. future. And good luck with the books. Thank you. <laughs> Fantastico. Is that all right? Yes.